Well, happy Wednesday night to you, church family. Let me ask you to get a copy of the scripture and find Matthew chapter 5. We're going to be looking tonight at the subject matter, the power of influence. Matthew 5, verses 13 to 16. You may recall about five years ago, we did a Sunday morning series on the Sermon on the Mount. And of course, this passage we look at tonight follows up directly on the heels of the Beatitudes, the inward attitudes and characteristics that followers of Jesus are to have. And if we have those Beatitudes in us, we will have the proper influence. So we're going to talk more about that tonight. So find your copy of the scripture. I do want to mention, uh, be praying for our young people, our graduates and their families for this weekend service. We're excited about the service for them. We, we certainly hope and pray it is a very special day for our graduates, especially in light of everything they've had taken away from them in their senior year. We hope that uh, this can be a bit of a replacement to some of what they would have experienced had they continued to be in school through the end of the year. So pray for them. Uh, pray for their future plans as some go off to colleges, some go off to work. Uh, pray that God would use them in whatever capacity uh, they find themselves in. Now, let me also mention that uh, we have a need in our church family this morning, Gene Riles. Gene Riles is one of our senior adults. He's in surgery, even as we speak, having his gallbladder removed. I don't have the post-surgery report of that, obviously yet, as he's still in surgery, would be my understanding. And uh, his daughter will be calling me and giving me a report as soon as she has one. So just pray for uh, Jean and Gladys. Um, but again, I, I trust that you found your place in your copy of God's Word. I want to bring a message tonight on what all we're seeing in the media right now. With, with the riots, with the protest, with the looting. Now, let me say, first off, that the Lord willing, <clears throat> a week from this Sunday, I will be bringing a message on the dignity of all men created in the image of God and how Christians are supposed to treat people. You know, Christians should be deeply opposed to any forms of racism that we encounter in society. Folks, in the church, we shouldn't even have to be arguing about any of this or debating it. All men are created in the image of God, and as such, they have dignity and value and worth. You know, with different races in the church, but with common Christian convictions around the scripture, and around salvation through Christ alone, our external differences paired with these common convictions ought to make us stronger and better. And I'm grateful that you see that. We serve a Savior who has a heart for the nations, and he has sent us to the nations Folks, we just need to be biblical Christians. You know, there are some bad actors in society who, who still get us where we are today. 
And that is such a shame. Likewise, Christians should, uh, certainly shouldn't be a part of violence. Embracing one does not mean embracing the other. Never before have we seen the need uh, for the church so, so profoundly to be the church, the need so profoundly, I should say, for the church to be the church. Never before have we seen that with the intensity that we see today. Now, before I read the text, also, I want to say that I will open up with an illustration that I actually used oh, a month or two ago in a message. I don't want you to think I've bumped my head and, and lost my memory, but as I was thinking about this message, this illustration came to my mind again about how easily it is for people uh, to get involved in some type of group thinking of a mob and just sort of go whatever direction other people are going. And uh, the illustration I'll open up with would certainly caution us against that. But let's read our verses tonight and see what Jesus says to his disciples. He says, you're the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would open our hearts and minds to what Jesus is telling his disciples in these few verses that we've just read. How that as believers, we're to have a positive influence on society. Lord, I pray that you would be with our nation right now. Our nation is deeply troubled and divided. And Lord, we do see people treating others poorly and not in the way that reflects faith in you whatsoever. We know that all men are created equally in your sight, in your image. All men, regardless of race, color, language, have dignity and value in your sight. And as Christians, we ought to be the first to embrace people and say, we love you and we ought to treat people right. Lord, forgive us that as a nation and sometimes even as the church, we've not followed that. Lord, at a time like this that we're seeing in our country, I pray that our church would be an example of how we're not only to love you first and foremost, but we are to love our neighbor as ourself. And we're to conduct our lives in such a way that show that our faith in you is very much real and applicable in our lives. Use this study tonight for your honor and glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
With that illustration I mentioned uh, a moment ago to you that I, I used a month or two back was an illustration about Dr. James Dobson in his book, Life on the Edge. Uh, he was talking in that illustration about the power of influence, and he talked about how he was watching a documentary uh, on television one time, and, and this reality of influence really hit home to him. In the documentary, they had gone to a slaughterhouse where they were killing sheep. And to get the sheep up a ramp and into the slaughterhouse, they had trained a goat. They, they named it the Judas goat, the Judas goat, who would lead the sheep to their destruction. What the goat would do is it would lead the sheep up the ramp to the slaughterhouse, and at the last moment, a door on the left would open, and the goat was trained to dart through that, that doorway, and the doorway would close, and the sheep would have to keep going straight down the pathway to their death. And Dobson said how that struck him that in society oftentimes that's what we do in groups of people almost without thinking. We just, we just follow people and we do things just because a crowd is doing certain things and how detrimental that can be. Uh, on society and how detrimental it can be in the church. And so, folks, we need to think about our influence and how it can be either good or bad. You know, there's this powerful tension in the New Testament that Christians are to know that this world is not their home. And so Jesus says we're to be laying up our treasures in heaven above. And at the same time, we are to work to make this world a better place. You and I are going to have to be satisfied to live with that tension. This world is not our home, and yet we're working to make this world a better place. You know, Christians of previous generations perhaps did a little better job on this, but still, currently, great contributions are being made. For example... Uh, in politics or art or science or finance or education or medicine, Christians have made huge contributions. Sometimes we don't realize this. The church has been at the forefront of orphanages. It's been at the forefront of establishing homes for the elderly. Some aspects of the current social uh, Social work system can be traced back to Christians who were concerned about the needs of the less fortunate. Christians helped bring an end to slavery. Christians helped in prison reform to make prisons more humane. There have been great contributions in literature. Christians have worked for the freedom and education of women. Christians were present in the advancement of civil rights. The Braille system for the blind was invented by a dedicated Christian, Louis Braille. The Salvation Army, the Habitat for Humanity, the Red Cross, World Vision, Samaritan's Purse, many other organizations all have Christian roots. Think about that. On a worldwide scale, the church is the largest single provider of health care and education. 
Many of the great uh, politicians and statesmen of the past entered the political arena because they felt called to serve God in that arena and to try to get laws established and passed that would would be for the betterment of society. 81% of evangelical Christians today indicate in surveys that they do some type of volunteer work month in and month out compared to only 26% of the rest of the population. 81% compared to 26%. Folks, on and on I could go. Some of the founding of America's great institutions and, and hospitals were by Christians too. All of that brings us to these verses that we look at tonight, these verses that conclude the Beatitudes. If we live out the Beatitudes that we find in Matthew 5, verses 1 through uh, 11, or excuse me, 1 through 12, if we live out the Beatitudes, we will, without a doubt, be salt and light in our culture. You see, the Beatitudes describe the type of character and convictions that we are to be, that, that we are to have. It's no accident that character and convictions are the first thing that are addressed. When God gives us something to do, what does he first of all work on? He works on the heart. God grows the person first. That's what the Beatitudes are all about. They describe how we are to be. Now, with those things being in place, we come to verses 13 to 16 that describe the effect that we will have in culture. I suppose if you were to reduce these verses down to one word, it would be the word influence. If we are poor in spirit, if we are hungering and thirsting after righteousness, if we are peacemakers, if we are persecuted for righteousness' sake, if we live out these beatitudes, then we are certainly going to be men and women of influence. Folks, Christ is speaking of the impact that we are to have on our culture. Wherever God puts you, you are to be a person of influence and impact for Christ and for the good news of Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us that the world is not supposed to shape the church. Rather, the church is to shape the world. Now, I imagine as Jesus said these words in Matthew 5 to these men, it must have been quite a shock to these disciples. After all, they were not the movers and shakers. They were plain, ordinary men. They were not the powerful officials of the day. They were not even the great learned men and women of the day. The Greek philosophers like Socrates and Plato and Aristotle, they'd already lived and, and done their work and died. And yet Jesus looked at these plain, ordinary disciples and said, you and you alone are the salt of the earth. And you and you alone are the light of the world. So I imagine there was kind of a shock factor in these words. 
Folks, we, we learn here what Christ wants to do through his church. I want you to notice that he's not specific. He didn't say that we're to be salt simply in the arena of education or in the world of finance or medicine or politics or whatever. He said, you're the salt of the earth and the light of the world. I believe he's being intentionally broad, meaning that wherever Christians find themselves, whatever arena, they're to be salt and light. Well, the first thing I want you to notice with me tonight, Jesus tells us that Christians are to stem the tide of moral and spiritual decay in the world. Look again at verse 13. He said, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Jesus told his disciples, you are the salt of the earth. It's emphatic. You, you alone are the salt of the earth is how it could be translated. The implication is you and no one else. Folks, think about that. Christians are pretty well the only ones in society by and large that are going to, to hold the line on spiritual and moral and ethical issues of the day. If, if we don't stay true to that, chances are nobody else is. What a huge responsibility Jesus is telling you and me that we have. Now, we know that salt was one of the most precious commodities of the day. The ancient Greeks referred to it as being theon or divine. Romans held that the sun and the salt were the two most valuable things in existence. Roman soldiers were sometimes paid their salaries in salt. And that's where the saying comes in, he's not worth his salt or he is worth his salt. Our word salary can be traced back to this word salt. Now I want you to think of some of the various uses of salt. First of all, salt adds flavor. There's nothing quite so good as a buttered baked potato loaded down with some salt. I know it may not be good for your blood pressure, but boy, it sure does taste good uh, in your mouth. Or how about buttered popcorn as you're watching a good movie? As a believer, you and I are to bring a little bit of taste a little bit of life, a little bit of zing to an otherwise tasteless world. Have a little fun, but in good taste. Add a little enjoyment to your environment. You know, Oliver Wendell Holmes reportedly once said that he might have entered into the ministry if certain clergymen that he knew had not acted and looked so much like undertakers. A second thing salt does, it increases thirst. The world should look at our lives. They should look at our walk with Jesus Christ and say, you know, I want to be like that. Do you and I live that way? That anybody would look at us and say, you know what? I want to be more like you. What's your secret? 
A third thing salt does. In small doses, salt is actually good for the land. Now, too much of it, and you'll kill everything. In ancient times, there's some report of armies that would come in, and they would put down salt so heavily on a land that they'd conquered that, that the people couldn't grow anything. But in a certain amount, it can be good. We're entering into the summertime, and many of you probably have tomato plants. Quite a number of years ago, I learned a secret. I had, I had big, juicy red tomatoes that I was about ready to pick, but they had begun rotting on the bottom. An extension agent told me that if I would dissolve a little bit of Epsom salt in a gallon of water and pour around the base of the tomato plants, that rot on the bottom would stop. Guess what? It stopped. It worked. A fourth thing. Most of all, salt was used in ancient times as a preservative. Now, commentators are in agreement. That's probably the chief meaning that we're to see here. Back then, they didn't have refrigerators and freezers, freezers like we have today. And so they would have to uh, take their catch of fish or their meat and they would have to rub salt into it and dry it in order to preserve it. Because if they didn't, in that hot, moist Mediterranean climate, the meat would rot. It would spoil. And so salt would be rubbed in to preserve the meat. Now, folks, that is a picture of us in the world. You know, Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 3 that the world is rotting, it's decaying, and it's getting worse. It's going from bad to worse. You and I need to be out there in the culture, rubbed in, if you will, touching the culture and making a difference. You and I are to have a preserving type influence. We are to permeate society and we are to prevent decay. We're to have a prophetic voice as we speak the word of the Lord, the good news of Jesus Christ. Folks, this is certainly one reason Christians must take an active role out in society in different arenas. The world is bad enough. Think of how much worse the world would be if you took Christians out. So we are to be out there making a difference. Dr. Craig Blumberg, a noted authority on the New Testament, he states, he says, and I quote here, in light of the countercultural demands in the Beatitudes, one might think that Jesus was calling upon his followers to separate from society. Here Jesus makes it clear that just the opposite is the case. Christians are to permeate society as agents of redemption, end quote. You see, some would have us believe we just need to keep our faith inside the four walls of the church. But this passage certainly says differently. But I do want you to think now of a huge danger or huge temptation. If we think of salt and our lives being compared to salt, what is a, what is a danger? Well, Jesus spoke of that in the second part of this verse. He said, but if the salt has become tasteless, 
How will it be made salty again? It is good for nothing anymore except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. There's a danger of salt losing its influence and becoming tasteless. Now, as you know, salt, pure sodium chloride, is a stable compound. Pure sodium chloride doesn't lose its taste. But they didn't have refineries back then that would produce a pure product. They gathered a lot of their salt from around the Dead Sea. It had a lot of contaminants in it. And if it had too many contaminants or impurities in it, you had to throw it out. Or sometimes the rain would leach out the salt, the sodium chloride, leaving the white powdery minerals behind. You thought you had salt, but once you tasted it, the salt had been washed out. And in that case, they would simply throw it out on the hard walking paths. Now, let's think of some applications to that. Jesus is saying to to disciples of his here that you and I had better guard our hearts. It doesn't take much to be stained by the world. If you become stained by the world, then you're going to lose your influence. You're going to lose your prophetic voice to the world. Folks, the church is to be in the world But woe to the church if too much of the world is in the church. If something like that happens, we will lose our testimony for Jesus. He does not say that we will lose our salvation. But he points out that we will lose our testimony. We will lose our influence. Now, incidentally, the word tasteless here can also mean foolish. There's a play on words here. The disciple who allows himself to become tainted loses his effectiveness, and this is a very foolish thing to do. Dr. D.A. Carson, here again, a noted authority on, on the New Testament, says disciples who lose their savor are, in fact, making fools of themselves. And so what must we consistently do? We must stay untainted by the world. The Apostle John said it this way in 1 John chapter 2, beginning in verse 15. He said, Do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away, and also its lust. But the one who does the will of God abides forever. Now, not only are Christians to stem the tide of moral and spiritual and ethical decay in the world, but the second thing I want you to see here, Christians are to dispense the good news of Christ in the world. We're to shine the light. Look at what he says in verse 14. He says, you're the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. 
In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. If you live out the Beatitudes, not only are you going to be salt, you're going to be light. You are going to shine in the darkness. You're going to bring light, God's light, to a lost and dying world. Folks, just like the world is decaying, it's walking around and dying in darkness. Christians are to be light by reflecting the light of Christ. Christ is the light of the world. And we are to be busy reflecting Christ, the light of Christ, to a dark world. You know, the world thought in hundreds of years ago, the world thought with the period known as the Enlightenment that the problems of society would diminish. Now, while we can certainly be grateful for many of the advancements in learning, we have to admit all the knowledge in the world has not solved our problems. It's just like Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1. The world through its wisdom has not come to know God. It's really ironic in a sense that the very ones persecuted by the world, Christians, are the world's hope. Folks, think of our impact here. What happens when you cut on the light? The darkness flees. You walk in a dark room, you cut on the light switch, the light comes on, the darkness is gone. You, you want to talk about impact? That's impact. But here again, there's a danger that can creep in. Look at what Jesus goes on to say here. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do men light a lamp and put it under the peck measure, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. You see what Jesus is talking about here? He's talking about the danger of concealment. Back then, cities would oftentimes be set up on a hill, built on a hill. You could see the city for miles around. For one thing, it was a defensive thing. If, if anybody was going to attack that city, they would have to go up the hill it was built on and get over a wall while the people in the city were looking down on the enemy. The city was easier to defend that way. But then at night also the city could be more easily seen as people had their lanterns and their candles and oil lamps on. The city on the hill could be visibly seen even from miles around. It would be impossible to hide those cities. Now, likewise, it would be foolish to light a lamp in a little home back then and then after lighting that lamp, get a basket or something and put that basket over top of it. Nobody would do that. The purpose of lighting the lamp is to drive out the darkness. You wouldn't cover the flame. There's no way you would light a lamp and hide it. But you know, some Christians do that very thing with their lives, with their witness. 
Jesus has brought light to their soul. He's brought salvation to their lives, and yet they conceal it. Folks, that ought to be unthinkable. A concealed disciple or a secret disciple would be of no more use to God in this world than one who has lost his distinctiveness and is not living as salt anymore. I know it's not quite the same thing, but think about it. We will get so aggravated or disappointed when we hear of some famous Christian personality who does something foolish and loses his witness, but if we never testify to the light of Jesus that is in us, haven't we diminished the Christian message also? We've heard it in a different way, in a more passive way, but nonetheless, we've still heard it. We've still diminished it. Folks, we must not be secret disciples. I heard a joke about a little boy one time with a little tiny dog, and the little dog was yapping, and a man said, Son, what kind of dog do you have there? And he said, I've got a police dog. And that man said, well, son, that doesn't look like any police dog I've ever seen. And the little boy looked up at the man and said, well, you see, sir, he's in the secret service. We've got too many Christians acting like they're in the secret service. Folks, we need to shine the light of Christ. We need to tell the good news. We need to preach the gospel. And so while corruption will hurt the cause of Christ, so will concealment. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a German Christian who lived back in the days of Hitler. And he was trying to get the German church to stand up against Hitler. He wrote a book, a famous book, The Cost of Discipleship, and there's some powerful words in that book for us. He says that the Christian community who conceals its faith in Jesus and never shares its faith has ceased following Christ as Lord. Wow, those are powerful words. So what's the solution? Let your light shine. Tell people what Jesus has done in your life. But I want you to notice a little caveat caveat here. We're to shine, but we're not supposed to shine our light in such a way that we get any credit, but so that all the credit and honor and glory goes to God. That is the aim of our good works. He says here, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. The word good here is the Greek word uh, kalos, K-A-L-O-S, as we would spell it in, in English. It emphasizes beauty and attractiveness. Others, by our good works, will see the beauty and attractiveness that the Lord has worked into our lives. And again, remember, none of this is to call attention to us but to Christ, so that the result will be men will see this and they will glorify God. 
You know, if people, for example, if people knew you before you were a Christian and after you're a Christian, hopefully they see the change in your life and they know it's not you. They glorify God. That's the way it's supposed to be. It's kind of like when the authorities in the book of Acts took notice of the apostles and their boldness and how the apostles were preaching the good news of Christ. Do you remember what the book of Acts says? It says the authorities took note that the apostles had been with Jesus. What a great statement. May it be in the world today that people will look at our lives and take note of the fact that we have been with Jesus. Our lives are to bring glory to God. We get our word doxology from this word. Our lives are to be a doxology of praise to God. So tonight I want you to think about your influence. I trust you can see from our text tonight that you and I essentially have a twofold job description. It is our calling as followers of Jesus to do whatever we can to halt the corruption that's in the world. We are to be salt. So think about, think about that one as applied to today. The prejudice that we see in the world today, the racism, the violence, the theft, the murder that we see in the world today, our lives ought to work in ought to, ought to work in such a world out in society that we help change all that and stem the tide of corruption. We're to be salt. And then the second part of our job description here, it's our calling to do what we can to make known the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're to be light. How's that apply to what we see in the world today? There's a lot of people in our world today fearful. I mean, they see everything that's going on in our society and they're asking, what is our, what's the future going to be like? Is there any hope out there? The culture that we're in right now gives Christians a great opportunity to share the gospel of Christ. So again, our twofold job description. To do what we can to halt the corruption that's in the world and secondly, to tell the good news of Christ, to shine the light of Jesus. I want to ask you this evening to pray. God, help my life to be salt and light in my world. Whoever's in my circles of influence, help me to be salt and light. God, help me to be like a sweet aroma of Jesus Christ. You remember what Paul said about that? We are an aroma of death to some and an aroma of life to others. To those who listen to our message, we're an aroma of life. To those who reject our message, we're an aroma of death. Pray that, we, that God will allow us to be an aroma of life. I also want to ask you tonight, is your life dirty in some way? Is there something you need to give attention to before 
you lose your effectiveness as salt. Folks, guard your life so that you won't lose your testimony and deal with that quickly. And then lastly, are you ashamed to let the light shine? Are you ashamed or fearful of telling others about Jesus? Jesus said, if you're ashamed of me before men, I will be ashamed of you before my Father who is in heaven. Who do you and I need to tell the good news of Christ to? We need to get busy. Again, these days that we're living in, the church needs to be the church. May God help us to be so. God bless you. We'll see you Sunday.